And so, God, we come before you, and we know that you are our King, and that you are our Lord. And we know that forever we have eternity with you, but we know that the eternity starts now, not upon a physical death, but we have life now, not tomorrow. We have life today because of the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks for that, and we worship you for that, and we come before you, and we ask that today that you would open up your word in such a clear, evident manner that it would permeate all barriers that are in our life right now, that it would permeate our disbelief, our unbelief, that it would permeate um, the, the, the difficulties and the hardships of life right now, and that it would seep, saturate into our heart and our mind, and that we would worship you and declare that you are the one true God. Lord, we also know that there are people in this place who are hurting today. And we also know, God, that there are people in this place who need your guidance to make decisions. They need your wisdom, Lord. And we also know that there are some in this place who are truly broken. And they don't want to go to tomorrow because they are tired and they are weary. And so for each of those friends of mine, God, I pray now that through the presence of Holy Spirit, you remind them that you are power and that you are strength and that you are comfort. And that you are life. May they know true hope, which is always found in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me be seated. It is very good to have you here today. As you heard Jim Green sharing before, this is our last Sunday in this space. Uh, we are at least telling you that. If you walk next door, um, I, I don't know if I believe it yet, <laughs> but um, they promised chairs and a sound system. And so I'm promising you at least chairs um, and we'll just worship acoustically, and uh, we've done that before. We can do it again. Uh, it is good to have you here. I'm Joel Wayne, and uh, I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And we get to conclude a series today. Uh, that series name is Even If. Even If. We've been walking through uh, the majority of the book of Daniel, and it's a remarkable book. We're looking at Daniel chapter 6 today. Um, I've been able to preach, uh, preach that uh, several different times in my career and in my life, and it's just a remarkable passage, a remarkable text. And we've been looking at this guy, Daniel, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and, and uh, we've been looking at these guys. I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that a lot today. So just get ready for that interaction, and uh, if you're not quite sure what the answer is, say watermelon. It works with singing. Might as well work with that. Um, we're looking at these amazing young men. These are young men of faith. And before I jump into to that, I want to I make sure that we understand something. And as a culture today, even in our culture in terms of faith, in regards to faith within the church culture, um, we have 
failed in one very specific way. And we have failed in the fact that we think that it takes someone decades in order to mature in Jesus Christ to be a Daniel. And we are wrong. It simply takes someone encountering God to be mature in God. These are young men, teenagers, who set the spiritual trajectory of a nation. And so what we've done today is we've written off our young people when they make mistakes. Oh, this is part of growing up. If you have trans, been transformed by Jesus Christ, it does not matter your age. You are no longer your own. Amen. That means so be it. That means that, that is truth. And so I'm hoping that even today that for some of us who... You know, it's been a solid five years since I've been out of my teenage years. And as, as, as we look at that, even if I am mocked, I will preach the word of God. Um, maybe some of us who are a little more seasoned, fair enough, need to learn from the teenagers of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And so we look at them. We know that the Babylonian exile was a very real thing. It happened just before 600 years before Christ. It continued on. Three different exile periods. Daniel was taken captivity along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego during the first one. And from the very beginning, before it ever even took place, before they made a two-month journey to go to Babylon, to that area, to be indoctrinated with, with a different faith, different gods, different language, different cultures, different practices, a different way of life, they knew that they would stand with God. We find that in a variety of different manners and a variety of different ways. You're going to see that today. Because here's Daniel, and he is now coming before Darius. Um, we know that King Nebuchadnezzar was... Um, there and then his son Belteshazzar was there as well. Daniel chapter 5, you heard that from Pastor Luke last week. And then he was killed at the very end of Daniel chapter 5. And now Darius, who is a Mede, is now the king and he is ruling. And yet even he respected and knew about Daniel and his character and who he was with God. And so what we find very quickly in Daniel chapter 6 is it tells us Throughout this journey of discovering who Daniel is, it tells us that it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 170 satraps. You need to understand this. This is a huge kingdom, and you have all of these different rulers, and there are three primary rulers under the king that would oversee all of these other rulers, and Daniel was one of those. He became distinguished. It tells us in this passage that he became distinguished among all others. Why? Because an excellent spirit was on him, was with him, and that was the spirit of God. And you may think that you're completely inadequate to represent God. You may believe that you're completely inadequate to even do the job that you're currently doing. But if God is on you, you 
can be used by him to do magnificent things. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. We know that this excellent spirit was on Daniel. And so the plan was that the king was going to set him over the entire kingdom. But what we discover is that the other leaders around Daniel, um, there must have been some jealousy. I'll give you um, one way uh, that you know jealousy has set in a little bit, and jealousy is incredibly dangerous, is when you look at someone else and you think the words, why not me? You ever done that before? I've done that before. Right? I look at certain things that people may have or um, things that people are able to do. I look at the talent on this stage, right? And Pastor Nathan is amazing, and, and I look at him, I, I, I'm amazed by his talent and his gifts, and yet he writes me letters every week asking me not to come on stage and sing. Um, it's not my gift. It's, it's not my gift. It's not my talent, right? And I look at that, and I'm like, I wish I could sing. I wish I could play the keys like that. I wish I could play guitar. I wish I could even play the triangle, something. And yet, that's just not a giftedness of mine, a, a, a gift that God has given to me. But as soon as you start going down that road of why not me, and I think that's what was happening to Daniel. The leaders around him were going, wait, why not me? Why does he get to be the one? Here's this guy who we brought over in, in captivity, and now he's going to get to rule? That's not right. That's not fair. Why not me? Why don't I get to be in that leadership position? Why don't I get to have that kind of authority? Why don't I get to have that kind of power? Well, that's what people were thinking around him. And so they wanted to find something wrong with Daniel. Here's the thing, though. Because he walked with God, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. It tells us that they could, know, they could find no fault in him. Why? Because he was faithful. Not only was this, he, did he have an excellent spirit, but we learned that he was faithful. We know that from the very beginning. He's brought over, and from the very get-go in Daniel chapter 1, um, the king, king uh, says, hey, we want to feed all these people, make sure that they're healthy. And he says, no, I can't eat all that food. He was faithful from the very beginning of his journey. And we see that faithfulness over and over and over again. And so they even acknowledge, we're not going to find any ground for complaint against this guy unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. And so this is what we learn. And I would like to read. I'm not going to even have it on the screen. I want, I want you just to allow yourself to soak up the word of God and what's about to be heard. And I'm going to ask that you please stand as I read from Daniel chapter 6, verse 6 and following. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? And so the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. 
Now your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. And now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. These men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. And so they went to the king, spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands. And according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So you see what's happening. The leaders around Daniel say, hey, why not me? And they look at Daniel and they say, this isn't right. And so what we're going to do, we know that he is a man who is a faithful man. The spirit of God is on him. He is excellent in spirit. And so we're going to use that against him. We know that he is a guy who's going to pray no matter what. And so we're going to go to the king. We're going to bolster his ego, and we're going to build into that and say, hey, why don't we do this? Anybody who prays to anyone besides you the next 30 days, that will throw him in the lion's den. Well, Darius agrees with it. And very quickly, we see what happened to Daniel. He's trapped. Now, we're going to get into the rest of the details in a second, but I want to make sure that we understand really, because this is our last week in this series, and I want us to understand really who Daniel was and why he was able to be that way. I mean, don't, don't, anybody desire to have the faith of a Daniel? Anybody? Anybody, right? Come on. It's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Did you know that this is, this is truth? And so knowing that this is true, don't we want to learn more about Daniel and how he was able to be this way? Don't we want to go, wait, this is is how I want to raise my kids. This is what we want it to look like. And here's the key. If you look at Daniel, if you look at his life from the very beginning, what we learn is this, is that Daniel never saw the world apart from God. Daniel never saw the world apart from God. There was nothing, and you're going to hear this a lot today, but there was nothing in Daniel's life that was set apart from God. He was all in. He was all in. And it impacted the way that he ate. Right? Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's rich food or with the wine which he drank. So it impacted the way that he ate. It impacted how he interpreted dreams. We see that on a couple of different levels in a couple of different places, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 4. 
It impacted all of these different things in his life, the way that he ate, the way he interpreted dreams. It impacted his friends. Right? When in trouble, the very first thing that we see with him is what's he do? He runs to his friends and he says, I need your prayers. I need your help. There was nothing in his life that was set apart from God. His friendships were there, the way that he interpreted dreams, the way that he understood life, his friendships, all those things, the way that he prayed, everything was impacted by God. Daniel never saw the world apart from God. No no component. And it was a godly view of the world that allowed Daniel to be distinguished, to be excellent in spirit, to be faithful. And this is important because he had a godly view of the world rather than a worldly view of God. And you really need to, I would encourage you to leave and hang out with some friends later on and talk about that. Hey guys, what's the difference between having a godly view of the world and a worldly view of God? A worldly view of God is, hey, he's here to serve me. A godly view of the world is, you know what? You have stepped away from me, and yet I will still choose to love you and to serve you and to give you my son, Jesus Christ. Having a godly view of the world is very different than having a worldly view of God, and Daniel knew the difference between the two. It's the reason he was able to remain so strong throughout this process. And we see all of this unfolding very, very quickly. Uh, Here's Daniel, though. The name Daniel, uh, it means um, God is my judge. Names had very significant meaning then, right? Um, Today, um, my wife, she really wanted to have special names. So with our middle names and different things like that, there's reasons for all of them. And I just wanted them to, to rhyme. I wanted my, my, my son's name to be Dwayne, Dwayne Wayne. Um, I wanted my daughter's name to be Spring, Spring Wayne. Get it? I'm waiting. You get it? Okay. Three of you, good. Um, I, and she's like, no, Joel, you don't get to have a say in names anymore. Um, so we took a poll on Facebook. And, but back then, names meant something. I mean, the name that you carried really meant something. And we've talked about that before, but here it's important because here's Daniel. God is my judge. Daniel, because there was no separation of any part of his life from God, he knew that God really was his judge, not man. Daniel lived a life of truth and conviction, meaning God is my judge, not man. I'm not going to worry about that. I know who in the end I will be held accountable to. To God, I will give account to how I live my life, not to Nebuchadnezzar, not to Belshazzar, not to Darius, not to anybody else. I will give account to my life, not to you. I will give account to my life before the Almighty God. And he knew this. And if you really process that, if you believe that, that means you don't have an opportunity anymore to take anything part of your life and to separate it from whom God is. It's all his, every single bit of it. So now he's in this predicament of deciding if he's still going to stand before God because 
They've gone, they've gone before Darius and said, will you issue this decree? And he issues this decree, but yet he knows he needs to pray. Now, what we don't see here is we don't see Daniel now running to all of his friends and saying, I need prayer. I don't know what to do. Do it in secrecy. What he immediately does is he runs and he begins to pray. Verse 10 that I read before, I'm going to read it again. It'll punch you in the gut. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. In fact, I'll, I'll go back to verse 9. It's very short. It says, then King Darius signed the document and the injunction, right, about the prayer. So King Darius signs it, and here's his response in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he finds out the document's been signed. He goes to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And you just want to yell. He's gone. What this means, he's gone up to the second level where everybody is kind of able to see him. The window's there. They're open. And immediately he hears this decree. He goes and starts praying. And you want to yell at the guy, like, at least stay downstairs. Can you, can you close the windows? Like, do, do you have to do it this pup? Daniel, what are you doing? I, I feel that angst in me, that tension in me. I kept reading this every day this last week. Um, I had to go to Florida. And, and it was colder there than here. They ran out of sweatshirts in the store that was next door. All right? Tell me God does not have a sense of humor. <laughs> really? Oh. I could hear him laughing. I'm there, and every day I'm reading through Daniel 6, and over and over as I'm reading it with a cup of coffee, hearing the waves crash on the beach and the icicles form. I'm there, and verse 10 just kept hitting me. Because when Daniel, Daniel had much to lose. You want to talk about significance? You want to talk about power? You want to talk about having authority? You want to talk about having voice? He's already one of three over everyone. He's being um, pretty much groomed to be in charge of all of it. He's got all of this to lose. And I'm, I'm going, man, I would I'd be going, wait a second here. Please don't do this. And yet I'm, I see him running to his house, going to the same place he's always been, keeping the windows open and going, I don't care what decree has been issued. I will call out to my God. And he just lets it out there. But this, here are some things that I want to make sure that we, we take away from this story. And I hope that they just hit your own personal life. I really do. And here are some things that we need to consider when it comes to this story. Here's the very first thing you've got to understand. Prayers for anyone who claims to know God. Prayers for anyone who claims to know God. Sometimes we think prayer, um, you know, uh, we had Josh Fuller up here talking about, hey, we want you to submit your prayers, and we, we really do. We send those out, and we pray for those, and it's an honor. It's a blessing to be able to do that. 
I, I love praying for some people I've, even, I've never even met before, and I feel like in time I can start to get to know them a little bit. That's what the power of prayer does. It's really remarkable. Sometimes we think prayers for the pastors, or we think prayers for the clergy. We think prayer are for the spiritual leaders. Prayers for anybody who claims to know God. Prayers for anyone who claims to know God. Prayers not only for the pastor, for the monk, for the religious person. And Daniel lived a life that continually, continually consulted God. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your power. Another thing that we learn from the story very, very quickly is that Daniel didn't rationalize self-desire. He didn't rationalize. He didn't justify his own self-desire because here's this guy with significant authority, significant power, significant presence in the kingdom. And he could have all day long said, you know what, I'll just wait 30 days. I'm at least going to stay downstairs, make sure the windows are closed, close the door, do it privately. But he wouldn't do it. What part of your life have you justified not doing in regards to your faith because of what you think it could cost you on a temporary basis? He didn't rationalize self-desire. I mean, I'd be... I know personally, I, I think I would even receive counsel from some saying, you know what, though? It's, just wait, Joel, because you're going to have authority and you're going to have influence to be able to do this later on. And sometimes you've got to give up this in order to... And Daniel's going, no, you don't get it. And we begin to rationalize. We begin to justify certain things. We do it with all parts of our life, don't we? We've done, you can see it in our society. The slippery slope of certain things. And when we begin to justify and rationalize one thing, then it leads to another, and then it leads to another, and then it leads to another. Can we talk about all different types of issue when it comes to, to sexual conduct, when it comes to, to alcohol and to drugs and to how we even have and encounter relationships today? And we begin to rationalize and justify and Daniel would have nothing to do with it. He would have nothing to do with it. And so we recognize Daniel didn't rationalize self-desire. Another thing is he practiced what was important by how he practiced. Now notice that. He practiced what was important by how he practiced. It's that whole mantra and that understanding that our faith is personal but not private. Numerous times we've spoken about that here at Chapel Point. Is that our faith is something that is personal, but it's not private. That's why you had the Great Commission. We are to go out and to tell people. I love the stats that we've recently sent out to the church are amazing. That 80% of people would come to church if simply invited on Easter. 80%. Open your mouth. Yes, please. If you've encountered Jesus Christ, to keep that to yourself is the most selfish thing that you can do. And here's Daniel, and he practiced what was important by how he practiced. He didn't go and hide and close the doors and make sure that he was in a closet that nobody could see him in. You know what Daniel was doing? Daniel was making a public statement. That 
that you could take everything you want from him, but you cannot take his faith in God. Daniel was making a public statement. And so he left the windows open, and three times a day he gave thanks before his God. But uh, I was able to preach Daniel chapter 6 several years ago right here on this stage. And the one theme, I remembered it, uh, coming from that was that Daniel was someone who was faced with conforming to the world or being transformed by God. It's a simpler way of thinking about it. He was faced with that dilemma. That's why Romans chapter 12, it speaks of that as well. Uh, That's why it's such an important passage for, for us here at Chapel Point, talking about being transformed followers of Jesus. We want to allow Christ, we recognize that our growth, our transformation, sanctification is a continual process of growth. It's not a one-time event. And so we want to make sure that we recognize that. And we want to make sure that we're being transformed by God, not conforming to the world. And Daniel was in this place, and maybe you're in that place right now. You're, You're faced with maybe some ethical issues, some moral issues. Maybe some things at school, if you're in school. Maybe some things with the type of friend that you're going to be. And you're going, am I conforming to the world or am I showing that I've been transformed by God? Where am I? Maybe for some of you, the way that you're treating others who have wronged you. And you're letting their wronging of you determine and justify, well, I don't have to be godly toward them. They deserve this. Don't you know what they did to me? And so what you're doing, as soon as you go down that road, you're justifying conforming to the world rather than being transformed by Christ. And we have that decision to make. And so knowing full well that that decree had been signed. And by the way, some of us have friends who have said that, hey, if if you're not going to support me in this, I don't know if we can be friends. That's kind of a decree. And you have a decision to make of where you're going to stand. And here's Daniel praying with thankfulness to God. His enemies catch him in Daniel chapter 6, verse 12 and 13. They go before Darius. They remind the king before uh, of the decree that he had issued. And what we find here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 14 and following, is interesting. It says, the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Right now, those other leaders, hey, why not me? Those people, those cowards, right? Those people who just want for themselves more and more and more, they go back to the king and say, hey, listen, this is what Daniel is doing. And then we get this. It says the king, when he heard these words, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He wanted to help him. He knew that this was a great man. And so he's going, you know what? I'm going to help him. And so it says that he labored till the sun went down to rescue him, meaning he's trying to figure it out. I made a decree, I issued it, and now I've got to figure out how to go against that because I need to save Daniel. This is a great man. And these men came 
by agreement to the king. And he said, and they said to the king, No, O king, you, you said, they're playing him. No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I mean, they're letting him know, there's no way that you can alter this. There's no way that you can change this. And so then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. They manipulate the situation. They go to the king. The king needs to honor the decree that he issues. He has Daniel thrown into the lion's den, even though he had labored over what to do in this situation. He puts him in the lion's den. He brings this giant stone, puts it there so he cannot be removed, and he says nothing is to change. He puts the king's seal on it. But it's not over. It says in verse 18, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. The guy couldn't, he didn't eat, he couldn't sleep, he was grieving, he was in angst. And so then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste. Here's, here's what's taking place. He throws him the lion's den, seals that he knows that he has to do this. He's been tricked in this entire situation. In fact, I think there's already a, a fuming happening within him toward the other people who were trying to men, who did manipulate the situation. You're going to see that come to fruition in a little bit. So I think that's already fuming within him. It's, it's boiling within him. And so all of a sudden, he's not sleeping. He's not eating. And at the break of dawn, he doesn't have to do this. He's king. Instead, though, even as king, he goes in haste to see what's been taking place. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone, it says, of anguish. It doesn't say that he, he comes to the place where Daniel was, to the den, and, says, and he asks the question. It says, he comes and in a tone of anguish. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And this is where he's probably waiting to hear. Any response would be a good response.
Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Tells us verse 23, the king is exceedingly glad. Here's Daniel cast into the lion's den. But what we find is that he found favor in the sight of the Lord because he was uncompromising in his dedication to God. And I can imagine this king who's up all night and not eating and not sleeping and he runs at daybreak. He runs to see if Daniel's okay and he calls out in this tone of anguish and he's waiting for Daniel to respond. And by the way, I believe that God is waiting for some of you to respond. And you have a choice to make on how you're going to respond to God. But Daniel had already responded to God by living a life that was completely dedicated to him by by not taking anything and setting it aside. What we learn very, very quickly is that Daniel would not be pressured to release his faith no matter what. That was his even if. Even if I am pressured to release my faith, I will remain saturated by God. I will remain saturated by God. I will remain wrecked by God. I will remain consumed by God. I will remain overwhelmed by God. And I will not quit. Daniel would not allow even the most powerful people to determine his faith. Are you letting somebody else determine your faith? You're so concerned about what they may say and about a friend that you may lose that you're betraying God. Daniel lived a life that was completely saturated by God. And some of us we've taken areas of our life and we said, "You know what? I I'm, I believe in God. I trust in God." But some of us have areas that we've held on to for ourselves. Some of you, um, you've said, you know what, I I believe in God, but um, my marriage is not your business. And you've really said that to God even. Because every time your spouse mentions, hey, I think we could grow more in faith, your response is, what's wrong with what I've been doing? Or some of you go, you know what, no, this is, you don't understand how hard I work for this. This is my money. This isn't his money. Who, who's the church to ask me for something? That, guys, here's the funny thing. We're so odd when it comes to money. Here's the thing with money. It's not yours to begin with. Why do you think it's odd that God wants to use what's already his to grow his kingdom? The only reason is because you believe it's yours.
It's not just that. It's in any relationship. It's in those friendships. It's in the marriage. It's with our kids. Some of us are so nervous about what our neighbor or our friend may say when we invite them to come worship with us that we'd rather them stay in the dark in terms of their own faith rather than be embarrassed. Here's another thing that we learned from Daniel. Daniel's life, your life, it impacts other people. Young guy, doing his best to remain faithful. And man, did his life impact other people. Your life impacts other people. But this is the impact that it had on King Darius. We already know that it, it was grieving Darius to see everything that was taking place with Daniel. But the chapter concludes in verse 25 and 27 with this. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and all the peoples of every language and all the earth. That's some letter, isn't it? I don't know why we're apprehensive about writing to our neighbors. And it says, May you prosper greatly. And here comes another decree, and this is a decree that really matters. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. By the way, that's my God too. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And I'm here to tell you that he can rescue from any pain and hurt that you have in your own life. He is an eternal God. He is a powerful God. Nothing in Daniel's life was isolated from God. Nothing. Not his friendships, not his, not his career, not advancement, not promotion, not the food that he would eat, not finances. Nothing in his life was set aside from God. Will you be willing to do the same And will you sit with him and allow God to just jump into your life in such a powerful way? And some of you today, that's my request, is that you identify that one area in your life that you've kept for yourself rather than releasing to God. And to make a promise to release it. Right here in this space, a space this, is a, this is our last time in this format, worshiping in this space. I'm sure we'll have other worship services here. But not like this, because next week we're next door. And, and I'm so thankful to see God work, not just in the life of Daniel, but in the life of even this church. God is still working today. It was literally 12 years ago that they were breaking ground in this place. And I love it because Jim Green, the gentleman you saw up here before, I know that was a part of his life. He was scared. And for some reason, that makes me happy.
But I want to show you how God has moved. If, if you were a part of the very first service in this space, will you please stand? Anybody here? Thank you for your faithfulness. I got another question. Not, oh, you got to stand back up. I want you to stand back up. I want to, how many of you were baptized in this room? Will you please stand up with them? Stand up with them. Awesome. If you were married here, I'm going to ask that you stand with them. Or if you committed to raising your children in a godly home, maybe a baby dedication, um, any of those types of things, if you would also stand with them. If since that time you've become a member here at Chapel Point, I'm going to ask that you stand. If you've grown in your faith in a class that you attended in this room, I'm going to ask that you stand. If you came to church for the very first time here at Chapel Point, I'm going to ask that you stand. Maybe if you've watched your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or for some great-great-grandchildren play upward, would you please stand? How about this one? If you've worshipped God in this room, stand up. I can tell you this, in the last four years, over 200 of you have been baptized right there. Isn't that awesome? Over 200. Others have been baptized Lake Michigan. Water's not as warm there. This is what I believe God is doing here at Chapel Point. If you haven't noticed in the last year, things have been a little crazy. Anybody notice that? It was less than a year ago that all we had was dirt being moved. Less than a year ago next door. And I think the last year is calm compared to the next year. <laughs> ah, my elders just like threw up a little bit. That's so fantastic. Because God has so much more. And just as we as individuals, we're promising and we're letting everybody know we will not keep anything isolated from God. I am telling you now, I am making a promise that this, his church, we will keep nothing isolated from the power of God. Every single thing we have is his. It is his work, his movement, and we will declare with trumpets his greatness. Don't you understand that the same God who delivered Daniel can deliver you? Live in that. We will praise the name of the Lord our God, and we will do it now, and we will do it forever. Let's sing to him.